Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The tax reform bill that was passed in December by a special session of the Utah legislature was soundly repudiated by a referendum drive that collected the required number of signatures before the regular session of the legislature began in January. Lawmakers subsequently repealed that bill. We wondered, uh, what about now? Is there still a need for reform? What should happen next? What's likely to happen next? We'll look back as well. And uh, we're going to talk later in the hour with Representative Norm Thurston, a Republican from Provo. He's a Republican who voted against the bill. Uh, Two Democrats, Representative Susan Duckworth uh, from Magna and Representative Angela Romero from Salt Lake City, will join us as well. In addition to tax reform, later in the hour we'll talk about a bill requiring clergy to report child uh, child abuse and neglect and a murdered and missing Indigenous Women and Girls Task Force. We'll talk through this hour about referendums and initiatives as well. We begin with uh, the main organizer of that referendum drive, uh, Fred Cox, a former Republican uh, state lawmaker. Fred Cox, welcome to the program. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, so uh, the, let me ask you, first of all, um, why the referendum drive? What uh, what was in the bill that you, uh, you saw was uh, problematic? There were five things that seemed to resonate with everybody I talked to. Uh, raising the uh, tax on, on food, uh, raising the tax on fuel, taking $680 million out of the education fund uh, a year, um, changing the way that we fund roads, um, and uh, adding a bunch of uh, new uh, taxes on various services. They weren't the services that had the lobbyists, but there were certainly quite a few of the services that were added taxes. And as it's pretty clear, there isn't a revenue problem with uh, the amount of taxes that we're bringing in. We've got enough tax coming in. The question is, is can we put it where we want it or not? Can we put it where we need it or not? And that's that's obviously still a question. Uh, tell me about the process. This is a fairly daunting process. You know, we look back, this this referendum drive was very successful. I'll ask you about that as we go along. Uh, but um, after a special session, you have 40 days, right? You have to collect some 116,000 signatures from 15 of the 29 uh, counties. Uh, is is that too high a bar? Is that is is that a just right? You were successful, well, but some have failed. It- Yes, um, because we live in a republic, um, you don't want getting a referendum too easy. On the other hand, you don't want it to be impossible. And the 116,000 I didn't feel was going to be a problem. Um, we had 45 days from the, from the date that uh, uh, the legislature acted, uh, obviously fewer days from uh, when we actually had an approved packet and had one printed and and the governor actually signed it but uh, uh, so the time is is very short um, we actually uh, verified that we had enough signatures in all but three counties one of them we had enough signatures uh, in um, but uh, the the clerk stopped counting before. They verified that, and two other ones, I think, were within 50 signatures each. Uh, So we pretty well did it statewide. Uh, To make that work, uh, it was pretty simple. I called my most liberal friends and my most conservative friends and said, uh, are you, first off, if you're interested in fighting it, and they were, and I said, if you're willing to work together, 
uh, as a team, we can do this. And that's one of the main reasons we were successful is we weren't focused on, uh, so who's a Republican that would support us or who's a Democrat? We were just looking for people, voters, that would uh, support. And that was, that was key in our success uh, because uh, this was such an unpopular bill because of those five things. Someone may have been okay with the food tax, but they were not with the fuel tax, or they might have been fine with both of those. They didn't like the $680 million coming out of the education fund with saying, oh, yeah, it's going to be fine. We just won't tell you how yet. Um, they did not like the idea of changing the way we fund roads, and they did not like adding all those additional services to collect sales tax. And so instead of creating something that everybody liked, they created something that everybody hated. And that's, that's why we were successful. What was the main driver, do you think? Do you think it was the uh, increase in sales tax on food? That was certainly one of them, uh, but it wasn't the only one. Uh, people would come. Uh, we tried you know, knocking on a few doors, but we basically quickly found that if we could just create a place, whether it was a library or a store, that people knew where they could sign, they would come. Uh we didn't have to, because uh, if we knocked on door, oh, yeah, would you take a look at this 200-page bill and, and tell us if you want to repeal it or block it? That didn't work as well as it may have been if this was something more simple. We basically created the information out there on those five issues, and, uh, and people just came. Uh, and they mentioned all of those. Some of them, it was the food tax, but it wasn't. Uh, if the legislature makes the mistake of, of putting any of those five things in a bill and passing it out, uh, we'll see that thing on the ballot this fall, and it'll be repealed. Uh, they, they just do not have any interest in any of those five solutions. Mm. Um, so this was, uh, it, uh, did this exceed your expectations? You said you thought this would, you'd get the, enough signatures. Uh, this was very, very fast and a lot of signatures. Well, um, we we knew, or at least I felt like, you know, hey, there's two million people that uh, would sign it, but not all of them were old enough to vote. Um, but I felt like we had enough. It was a it was a matter of raising the money because I didn't have the money. Most of the money that we raised were from five, ten, twenty five dollar uh, contributions. Uh, we had a few larger ones. Uh, former uh, Senate President uh, donated a thousand dollars and a few others but most everything was was small donations if we could do that if we could raise the money for the packets and we could get them printed and we could get them out there i knew that it would pass i didn't expect to have 180 170 thousand uh signatures as fast as we did and certainly Harmon's helped dramatically in salt lake county uh, we were filling up the libraries. We had lines out the door at libraries, and when we were able to add uh, a convenient location that people knew where to go, uh, that that was huge. You uh, you you didn't use paid signature gatherers. No, uh, I think that would have been a mistake uh, because if you're going to have a volunteer donate hundreds of hours, or in many cases, people took 
you know, their vacation for the year, basically, so that they could help. You can't ask people to do that kind of sac- sacrifice if they're if you're also paying somebody else to do that. Um, it's I think it would have been a mistake to get paid signature gatherers uh, because I think we would have lost the thousands of of uh, volunteers that we got. Some uh, lawmakers um, say that we need to have a high bar for referendums and initiatives because we don't want to become like uh, California. Uh, you know, uh, uh, legislated by the, the perception is legislated by initiative and and uh, referendums was tied the hands of the law- lawmakers. So, what's your thought? Do you do you think our process is about right? Needs to be made easier or well, harder? There are some problems with the current bill. I've talked to Representative Thurston. There are some provisions of the current law that are in total violation of our state constitution. He's aware of those. The lieutenant governor's office has told that, um, and I believe those can be fixed. Uh, in this case, uh, they didn't stop us from gathering signatures. If the uh, legislature had not repealed the bill when they did, it could have created a constitutional problem. Uh, but uh, uh, we are where we are. Uh, there certainly is not anything that says that because we gathered the signatures, the bill isn't on the ballot this fall. Uh, that's certainly an opinion of of one, but it's certainly not in the state constitution, and it's not in statute. And so, I, as I mentioned before, if the legislature is is silly enough to pass any of those five things, uh, we haven't passed the 95 deadline, 95 day deadline, which isn't constitutional, but it's still in place. And uh, we'll just put this thing on the ballot this fall. So, uh, I'm hoping that the legislature remembers that over the next week or so, and. Uh, and uh, just comes back with with different ideas, and and we have a number of them that uh, uh, have some great ideas. Uh, I want to uh, got an email in from Jean Lowne. She's a emeritus professor at Utah State University. Um, so looking ahead to uh, maybe suggestions for what should be done. Uh, she says, as a family economist, the most important thing the legislature can do to reform our tax system is to move from a flat tax, very regressive, to a graduated income tax similar to but more progressive than the federal income tax. What do you think about that? We used to have that. Um, the, the, one of the reasons that our economy has done as well as it did has done is we do have some good tax laws, and why the legislature thought that it was such a good idea to change uh, so many of them all at once uh, is beyond me. But uh, um, I don't think that's the answer. If they need to move $100 million from one account to another, uh, there's an Idaho um, method. It's very transparent, probably will tick everybody off, but they can move $100 million from one account to another uh, by using uh, income tax filing. They know it. It's a two-page bill. Uh, they can put to the voters whether we should have these specific earmarks that all income tax goes to education. That's a decision that the voters haven't had presented. I don't know that they're in favor of that. Certainly after watching what the legislature has done recently, they're probably not. Um, but there are things that they can do, and... Uh, one of them is to keep the constitutionally required uh, transportation-related uh, sales tax going to transportation. That was being proposed to be changed, and I believe that's a mistake. That's our most stable source of uh, funding transportation. 
So I'm not sure that that's the answer, but uh, we need to have those kind of discussions. And the when they went around the state and asked people questions, they were basically promoting their solution. I didn't hear hardly anybody agree with the proposals that passed in December at all those public meetings. And I certainly went and spoke to one of those meetings. They were promoting their solution and not listening to what people said. And that was another reason the referendum was so successful, is people just felt like the legislature had failed to listen. Mm. Well, uh, uh, just about uh, 30 seconds a minute to left in this segment. Uh, what's the is, is that the main lesson that you learned that we should learn from this whole experience? I do believe that. Instead of going around and getting all the brilliant ideas that people in the state have, they went around promoting their idea. That was a mistake. That was a, a waste of resources. And they were, ask, they were having people ask questions, but they weren't having people provide solutions. The reason that you have town hall meetings, one of the main reasons, is to listen. And they spent a lot of time listening, but they were listening to questions about what they had proposed, not listening to uh, solutions to the problem that they uh, were looking at. And, and that was a mistake, and, and hopefully the legislature will learn that going forward. Well, we've been talking with Fred Cox. He's one of the main organizers behind this referendum drive, which was very successful. The legislature has now repealed the tax reform bill. Fred Cox, former uh, Republican legislator. Uh, Fred Cox, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Anytime. Okay. Uh, coming up following a break, we're going to talk with uh, Representative Norm Thurston, Republican from uh, Provo. Later in the hour, uh, Democrats, uh, Representatives Susan Duckworth and Angela Romero. Uh, more following this break. You're listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams. We're talking about tax reform. Of course, the, that bill was repealed by the legislature after a successful referendum drive. Uh, we just talked with Fred Cox, main organizer of that referendum drive. Later in the hour, we'll talk with uh, Democratic representatives Angela Romero and Susan Duckworth. Uh, right now, my conversation with uh, Representative Norm Thurston, Republican from uh, Provo. Uh, this was recorded uh, yesterday. So uh, you voted no on the uh, tax reform, the special session. Uh, What did you not like about the bill? Well, there were were several things that I didn't like about the bill. Um, The most important thing to me was that we were supposed to be addressing a problem, and I never felt like that the bill as it was written really made any dent in that that redistribution problem. And so I was like, well, if if we're going to do something, let's make sure we get the problem solved. 
but uh, and the way we were approaching this kind of got sidetracked. We ended up chasing after a a tax cut, which was never really part of it. That was, I mean, it's a nice thing to do, but it was it wasn't the core goal. And so I thought thought we just got misguided and got sidetracked onto something that really wasn't part of the the mission. What uh, what were the main things that sidetracked it? Do you think? Well, I think somebody, uh, I don't know who, but somebody shifted the focus from the importance of finding a solution on the consumption side or on the sales slash gas slash, you know, that side of the equation. Uh, and they gave up on trying to find a solution to there. And then they just focused all of their energy on making this cut on the income tax side happen. Um, and so that doesn't really solve the problem. And that certainly was not a very popular thing with my uh, constituents for, to do anyway. What uh, what were the main objections from your constituents? So so here's the the problem is that there's you know the two sides of the equation the income tax side of the equation and then the consumption side which is the sales and gas tax and a few other things. Um, people were not that worried or, or currently are not that worried that they're paying too much income tax. If you ask people, they think that the reason that it's a reasonable rate, four point nine five seems about right, and people seem comfortable with that. And they're not just jumping at the bit like, oh, we need an income tax cut. We need an income tax cut. But when you talk about uh, the sales tax side, um, if you say, well, we're going to solve a problem by raising the tax on food or the raising the tax on gas, that does not sit well at all. So the idea that we're going to solve a problem by raising one of those two taxes was met with a lot of resistance. Uh, do you think those were the two main drivers? It seems like the sales tax on food was the main driver in the success of the referendum. Yeah, I think the sales tax on food was was the big driver, but there were an equal number of people I think that were upset about sale, raising the, the gas the gas tax. So those are things that people think uh, are kind of like core to what is fair and what is equitable. And raising those taxes to fund other priorities just uh, didn't sit well. Do you uh, do you think tax reform, you know, broadly broadly said, broadly written, needs to happen? Well, we, we ought to do something uh, on this rebalancing effort. And the reason why is because when we have an economic downturn and the income tax falls and there's not enough money to fund education the way it needs to be funded, we need some shock absorber in the system. And sales tax has been the traditionally the stable element in our whole system. And so if sales taxes are not there when the economy tanks, where do we go? And so the re there, there are ways of working around it. So the answer is we don't need to do tax reform, but but it would be smart of us to do tax reform. What would that look like in your view, a successful tax reform? So the successful tax reform on the sales and gas tax side of the equation, or what I call the consumption side of the equation, would be really to be serious about broadening the base but lowering the rate. And I think that's what gets lost in a lot of this is people hear broaden the base and then they stop listening. So maybe what we ought to talk about first is, well, let's lower the rate, but just apply it to more things. Um, and that's a much more stable system. You know, anybody who does financial investing knows about portfolio diversification. That's what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about a much smaller level of tax, but on a much broader segment of, of the economy so that you've got that diversification over, so that over time it's more stable. That's what it would look like, um, but that's that's a really hard thing to do. It's uh, there's a lot of pitfalls involved in that. It makes it uh, difficult. Do you think anything substantial is likely to happen this session? Is this going to be pushed off to next session? Oh yeah, there will be nothing nothing this session, and I would be surprised if we get anything done next session too. Uh, we've had two two we've had a, you know basically twelve months or so 
of people making their best efforts and not really making much progress. I think right now people are just tired of talking about it. Mm. A couple of Republican lawmakers I talked to earlier before the session began uh, indicated that, hey, we need some leadership on this. Let's let's let the governor's race play out, see who the new governor is, and then he or she can take the lead. Well, I don't know that the legislature has always looked to the governor for leadership on major policy issues. Usually we have our own leadership and that we look to ourselves for leadership, and hopefully we find a governor that's willing to um, work with us, partner, and come along and help us you know, be informed and make good decisions. But but I, I don't think the legislature is, has any appetite to just kind of sit back and let the new governor tell us what to do. That's not that's just not how it works. Mm. But uh, no appetite right now for it to tackle tax reform. And you're saying the next uh, session as well. When, when do you think it's going to happen if it does? That's a good question. Uh, there may need to be some significant turnover here before people get excited about taking another run at it, because there's a lot of people who felt kind of burned out on this whole issue, that they felt they invested in something that was supposedly a good idea, turned out to not be popular, not workable, and then that was the end of that. But I, I do want to add, though, that I, I think that we will see something this session to protect that education funding against an economic downturn. And if you don't have the ability to diversify your, your tax system, what you can do is you can put a lot of money aside into reserves. And I think that's what we're going to end up with this year is a lot of money into an education rainy day fund. So if there is an economic downturn, we do have a way of digging ourselves out of that hole. One factor here is um, by constitution, I believe, right? The, the um, income tax, uh, is, at least portion of that, all of that is, is earmarked for education. It is, and it's been that way since the beginning of the income tax. Um, in fact, that was part of the deal. That's how Utah got a state income tax, was by promising that it would never be spent on anything except education. So that's a very long-standing deal. I think that would be very difficult to change uh, and probably actually not even worth the discussion about whether we should or shouldn't do it. I just I just think it's not going to happen. So let's look at another solution. Uh, you anticipated my next question. So that's a non-starter, you're saying? <laughs> that's a non-starter. I, I just don't... I don't know what the um, what what would have to have to the, what would the status quo have to be to get that that constitutional amendment to pass with the general public. You'd have to be in a pretty dire situation, and that would have to be the only pathway out because it's it's been that way forever. I mean, since since there was a state income tax, it's been earmarked for education. Uh, I want to uh, want to talk a little bit about uh, referendums, initiatives. Some legislators you talk to. Um not wild about referendums or initiatives. Um, what's your view? Yeah, uh, referendums and initiatives are really a poor way of running a government. Uh, direct democracy is ineffective. It's inefficient. But uh, it's when those things pop up, it's it's usually because the legislature in some way is either ignoring a large segment of the population or or there is some really heavily funded special interest group that's not having success with the legislature and decides to take their case to the general public. Those are the, the two cases that you see. But those those processes are clunky. They're, um, the, the, the legislation that comes out of an initiative process is not refined in the same way that uh, bills normally would be. So, for example, I, I passed a bill out of the House today that I've been working on for three years of uh, you know, almost constant negotiations with the various stakeholders. That doesn't happen in an initiative process. Is uh, is this the bill on uh, insulin prices? 
No, this was actually a bill on um, ADA lawsuits. But oh, the okay. insulin prices was one that, that I think that was the, the solution was fairly obvious. We got there fairly quickly. But the ADA lawsuit bill, it's been a three-year work of progress. Uh, tell me a bit about that, the, the bill. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what had happened was the Americans with Disabilities Act um, provides protections for disabled people to have access to businesses. But the only enforcement mechanism is to sue the business in federal court, which is kind of an inefficient way of getting getting problems solved. That's not really the Utah way. The Utah way is, is that you go talk to somebody and say, look, I've got a problem here. And then supposedly they would be um, compassionate and understand that, that they do need to fix it, and they fix it, and we move on. Um, but neither of those things is really happening in Utah. So this provides a, a system or a process to help motivate both the uh, I guess, complainants, if you will, and businesses to get those taken care of quickly uh, in the least cost manner and kind of avoiding the whole idea of, well, you've got to sue me in federal court if you want this fixed. We we don't need that. There's there's another way of solving problems that doesn't involve federal court. I want to move on to uh, some other things you've been involved in, but I, I uh, asked a couple of lawmakers um, in our program on the opening day of the legislature about this referendum. Uh, and uh, you know, it, it gained the required signatures very quickly, seemed to be very popular, a, a repudiation of the tax reform bill. Um, and uh, Representative King, the, uh, the House Minority Leader, I asked him if he thought some of the energy behind this was uh, because, in some people's view, the legislature had been changing and tinkering with uh, previous initiatives and referendums. He said yes. He thought that was part of the, part of the uh, at least part of the, the push for this. Uh, what's your view? Yeah, you know, I, I, I do think there may have been some of that, but I think the bigger view was that um, the way that it was handled was not done very well and in terms of, of, of interfacing with the public. Passing that bill in a special session um, not staying on topic. There were there was a lot of um, things that were not handled very well that that just didn't sell well with the public. I, I don't I don't know that if if this had been the only issue, I think there would have still been a referendum. And you know we've had referendums in the past. I think the last one was on school vouchers. Same same basic problems. It may or may not have been a great idea, but the way that it was um, handled uh, with with sort of the whole just the whole political aspect of it. Uh, did not sit well with the public. And I think that was the, the bigger concern for me was uh, both that it was bad policy, but also that the, the way the process played out did not sit well with the public. You're listening to Access Utah. That was Representative Norm Thurston, Republican from Provo. Uh, the main focus of the program today is tax reform. Of course, uh, that bill was passed in December special session. It was repealed uh, in the regular session uh, after the idea was uh, repudiated by a referendum drive. It was very successful. Um, we're also talking about uh, some other bills that are being worked on in the uh, session, this session of the legislature. Uh, coming up, we'll be talking with Representative Angela Romero, Democrat from Salt Lake City, who we'll talk about uh, tax reform initiatives and referendums and uh, her bill requiring clergy to report child abuse and neglect, also a murdered and missing Indigenous Women and Girls Task Force. Next up is uh, a Democrat, Representative Susan Duckworth uh, from Magna. We're uh, this whole hour looking at uh, tax reform uh, and asking the question, what now? Of course, uh, tax reform was repealed after the referendum uh, gained signatures very quickly, demonstrating the will of uh, many voters on, on this issue. Uh, how did you vote in the original 
uh, tax reform I was package. I voted against it. And what what were uh, what were the reasons for voting against it? Well, taxing services is just wrong. There are other ways to approach it, and if the tax, if this imbalance has been building as long as it has been, we should have been addressing it prior to now. Um, the haste that the majority party placed on getting this done was just wrong all the way. And pulling a special session a month before we begin was wrong. It was it it cost taxpayer dollars, which I mean it was just wrong all the way around. Um, taxing services is it's just not right. It's costing. It will. It will cost our taxpayers and those that are going to be required to pay those, submit and pay those taxes, more, which is, in a in a state that they so call say we're family friendly. A lot of these services are provided by families, whether you're self-employed and employ your children, whether you have a home beauty shop in your in your house, anything like that, barbers, um, your massage therapist, the gal that does your nails, that is just wrong to tax those services. So my original vote was a no vote, and our vote to repeal was a no vote because we would have liked to have seen it on the ballot. All the Democrats, and there were a handful of Republicans that voted no as well. You would have liked to have seen it on the ballot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just because it's hard for me when I hear my colleagues say we know better than our voters. You know, in some things like the budget and how we have buckets of money that can be used in certain places and the way the budget has to be appropriated, I can say that probably and possibly we do know a little better than our voters because there's there's a lot of interest interest there's a lot of detail to that so when it comes to the budget but when it comes to policy and what's good for people people have a voice and people aren't stupid they they read the issues i'm not saying all of them do but don't call my constituents dumb and don't say we know better than they do. Mm-hmm. When I hear them say that, it, it, it breaks my heart a little bit because it tells me that they're not a representative. They're a politician. You know, I used to tell Carl, my husband served for 10 years, and I used to tell him, you can serve until you become a politician. <laughs> as long as you're a representative you, you are, and you get elected, that's where your service is. When you become a politician, that's when your service ends to your people, and mm-hmm. it becomes more of service to special interest groups and to yourself. Is that the is that the line that's uh, crossed in in your mind between those two definitions? In my mind, it mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it sounds like you're, um, you know, some legislators that I talk to are uh, not all that thrilled about initiatives and referendums. It sounds like you have a more positive attitude well, toward that process. I get tired of I get tired of hearing them say we're going to turn into California. You know, we hear that all the time. The, the voters run California. We're not California. We're a conservative state. So when when 
our elected say our voters don't understand, well, we're a conservative state. Let, let our conservative constituents voice their opinions, and then let's let their opinions rule. If their opinion is a priority and a majority, let their opinions rule. And that's, that's kind of where I am with the referendum. One uh, one question I've been asking various lawmakers. I'll ask you the, this the same question: um, Is uh, some people think that the one of the reasons, maybe not the main reason, but one of the reasons why this particular referendum gained signatures so quickly was that some people who signed it are are tired with the, the legislature tinkering with the initiatives that uh, that passed in the past. It, it's it's very possible, you know. Um... I've watched as a referendum has has been passed, and then the following session, a bill is run to to take away and take away from the ability to to pass a referendum. The bar is raised every time a referendum is passed. The bar is raised to get those signatures, the amount of signatures we have to have in every county. So, one in particular. Um, and I, I don't recall the, the referendum, but I recall the vote and the, and the debate on the bill. And, and um, a Republican, uh, I'm going I'm to name drop here, Cheryl Allen spoke and opposed the bill. Her seatmate was running the bill, was the bill sponsor. And she said, we are making it almost impossible for our voters to have a voice as we, as we make these referendum changes. We make it harder for our for our voters to have a voice, and that's exactly what we've done. We've we've raised the bar so high, but but the vote our voters and our and our taxpayers and the citizens of our state stepped up to the plate and and got those signatures. They gained all the signatures they needed, which I don't believe um, many thought was possible. So I'm I'm proud of I'm proud of the. Those that signed this, that signed the the initiative and and got their signatures on the on those sheets, those petitions. I'm extremely proud of them for all the hard work and the, and those uh, folks that were so willing to donate their time and sit for hours and hours and hours to to collect those signatures. Uh, are there any parts of the original bill? Uh, those passed and then repealed. Any parts of that that uh, should be salvaged? Do you think they're worth uh, passing? Well, so they so they included feminine hygiene products. Of course, I'm going to go there because the tampon bill, the tampon tax is what it's called, but it's actually the hygiene tax. They they removed diapers and they removed incontinent products from from my bill and then included feminine hygiene products. And I think it's because they didn't understand my bill. I, I'm not calling it my bill, our bill, excuse me. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't just a women's bill. The, the hygiene tax covers babies, women, young girls, and adults and seniors. So it, when, they, when they narrowed that down, we created winners and losers, and they were very disappointed with me for not voting for the referendum because they had included that. But that was that was the reason for my for my no vote. I mean, one of the one of the reps said to me, "Well, we have to make baby steps." 
so when when this when the tax rates adjusted the fiscal note on this bill goes from 5 million to 170,000 if we if we adjust the rate at point zero 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 one seven, the the fiscal note goes from five million to one hundred and seventy thousand a year. Hmm. Uh, so tell so, us specifically what what your bill would. I think you're running a bill right now, aren't you? Uh, the, well, what, what would that so do? There's kind of there's been a deal made with mm-hmm. there's it's kind of a deal and 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 it's okay with me because we reformed because we repealed the bill, but we're not addressing. I don't want to call it a deal. We're not going to address it this year. We'll address it next year. We're just kind of put everything referendum-ish behind us, mm-hmm. and and it will start new. Yeah, we uh, just want to just get, put this right behind us. This this was a win. This was a win for taxpayers. Mm. This was a total win for taxpayers. So I'm I'm happy where it is. It's my conversation with Representative Susan Duckworth, a Democrat from Magna, our main topic for this hour, focusing on the legislature and the tax reform, which was passed in December by special session, then repealed in the regular session after referendum drive. Uh, We're also uh, talking about various other things going on at the legislature. Coming up following a break, we'll conclude the program with conversation with Representative Angela Romero, Democrat from uh, Salt Lake City. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. Our focus uh, this hour is tax reform, and we're looking back at uh, what happened. Also, is there still a need for tax reform? What should happen next? What's likely to happen next? Uh, we're going next to a conversation with Representative Angela Romero, Democrat from Salt Lake City. We'll talk about tax reform later in this conversation. We'll talk about uh, Representative Romero's bill requiring clergy to report child abuse and neglect. Also, a murdered and missing Indigenous Women and Girls Task Force. Here's my conversation with Representative Romero. I want to start with the tax reform. All this hour, we're looking at uh, you know, tax reform and now well into the session. Um, looking at uh, any parts of that bill that uh, you know should be salvaged or, or not and where we go from here. Um, I want to start with, uh, you've been quoted in the, in the media. I was reading a, a couple of articles uh, where you said there are some lessons that the legislature should, should learn from this whole experience. What uh, what are those lessons, do you think? Well, I just think number one is to listen to our constituency, because we're elected to represent the people, and the people spoke with a referendum. And I think we just need to be a little bit more proactive about listening to our constituents. But it's also important to our constituents to hold us accountable 
and if they don't like how we represent them, then they should run for office or or look for another viable candidate. Hmm. Uh, what's the what's the balance? Do you think you know some people who don't like uh, some lawmakers don't like referendum initiative process say we're going to turn it into a California. You know, I, I would never want to go to California um, just because I feel like their hands are tied on a lot of things. But I, I think we have to strike a balance. And um, I just feel like people felt like their voices weren't heard. Yes, um, I want to commend my colleagues for going out there. They they traveled around to different parts of Utah to talk about tax reform. But I, I think they, they missed some key pieces on where some where are the gaps already? Who are we providing um, incentives to that maybe we should pull back those incentives? And so I just think there were there could have been a whole different approach to how we did tax reform. And Representative Briscoe in particular was talking about a carbon tax, and a lot of people don't like that idea. But there, there's some other ideas out there that we didn't even explore. Are there any parts of this uh, bill uh, that should be salvaged that are good ideas? Well, I, I think what they quote-unquote call the pink tax, where we don't tax um, tampons, and um, and that's that was a really important piece for, for me, and um, adult diapers, as we would call them. So I think those are, are um, different areas in which um, we can maybe look at um, taking the taxes away. But I think the most important issue for people was... Um, Putting the sales tax back on food, I think that was critical for many of my constituents in, in my district. They they were concerned about people who are struggling already, and then you, you put that tax back on, and then, you know, we were going to tax um, gas, and so that goes back to the consumer. And so I, I, I think it was just some of the different approaches that were taken that people just didn't feel comfortable with. So uh, many parts of this that you, you and your many of your colleagues think uh, didn't go well with tax reform. Is tax reform in general needed? Yes, I, we we definitely need to reevaluate it because we were at a crossroads right now, and so that's something we're looking into, and that's something we need to again go back to the community and discuss openly. And we can't; it doesn't have to happen overnight. It's going to take. It's going to be a process, and so just um, from the spring to the summer wasn't enough, and I think we need to look at when we're doing all of these town halls, how do we make sure we're inclusive of all different communities, and I think there's different ways in which to engage community outside of town halls. Uh, are there any ideas that have been floated or being floated that uh, that you uh, would support? Do you think a good idea uh, how to you know to balance the taxes and tax reform? I haven't heard of anything yet. I know that there are a couple of bills out there in regards to um, taking um, taking away the um, taxes on hygiene products such as tampons and um, and diapers, adult diapers, and so um, or adult underwear. I don't know exactly how you would phrase that, but I know there's a bill out there right now on that particular um, area because I know people were very supportive of that piece. Mm. Um, uh, we'll talk about a couple of bills that you've uh, at least talked about running. One, um, I'm not sure what the status of this is, that would require clergy to report uh, child abuse and neglect to, to law enforcement. Yes, that that bill is, um, I'm still 
working out some language for that. I don't know if it'll see the light of day this session. I, I have some religious institutions that are trying to work with me because I think they see my concern. And if you look at the different polls, the community agrees with me. Um, the only religious institution that's been resistant to this bill has been the Catholic Church, and I feel like they've messaged it and, and the way they've approached it um, has misled a lot of people on what I'm trying to do with this um, piece of legislation. Again, this is law in seven other states, so we're not the first state to um, look at this issue. There's a bunch of court cases that have happened. If you're looking at um, Montana with the Jehovah Witness or if you're going to Oregon, with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, this is an issue that's going to keep on coming up when it comes to that clergy privilege, and I think we as the state of Utah need to lead out on that. Where do you think the misconceptions are, what do you think is the misconception that you're hearing? Well, the misconception is, from Catholics in particular, is it, it says it's an attack on the seal of confession, which is part of the seven sacraments, and, um, and um, you know, I'm, the the act of reconciliation and penance, and I'm a Catholic, and I, I understand that. But again, um, when they, you look at freedom of speech, um, protecting children trumps that. And so I've looked into it. It wouldn't violate anyone's freedom of speech. It wouldn't violate um, the seal of confession from my perspective, and that's where me and the Catholic Church will just have to disagree, because at the end of the day, my concern is protecting children for most for some of our most vulnerable members of our community, and if somebody's admitted to harming them, then they need to be held accountable, and that's law enforcement. Hmm. Um, you, I, I don't know if, the, if this is this session, House Bill 200, requiring testing of all rape kits and uh, allowing uh, uh, survivors to anonymously track the status of those rape kits? That bill passed in 2015, and so... What we're trying to do is get the last funding um, piece to that. So when we um, initially looked at how much that was in a cost, it came up to $2.4 million. When we passed the legislation in 2015, we got $1.2 million, and we've had um, some ongoing money um, added onto that. So the, the last leg of that is about 380000 in ongoing funding. And we'll be where we need to be, and by July, I think we'll have all the the backlog caught up. But at the same time, we want to make sure that we don't have another backlog. And so with the funding um, mechanisms in place and the scientists hired, our goal is to turn around those kits within 30 days because it's important for an individual who's went through that whole process to feel like they've gotten justice and for them to receive the results and and again, as you mentioned, the survivor, and we're one of a few states that do this, they can actually track the process of their kit. Hmm. Uh, so that is, is big, a pretty big process. I understand there is a pretty big uh, backlog. So you, you say we're getting close to resolving we're the backlog? We're getting close to um, resolving that. But, you know, I think the one thing that I'd like to really point out is that because of all my work and some of my other colleagues' work on sexual assault and domestic violence and human trafficking, and talking to the community and letting them know that we we believe you. We've seen an increase of people reporting sexual assault because they feel like they'll be believed. And so a lot of times when we're talking about sexual assault in particular, a lot of people don't report it because they don't feel like they'll be believed. And my goal throughout the my tenure in the legislature has been to um, 
let victims know, let survivors know that lawmakers do care about them and we believe them and we'll get them the help they need. The other thing I'm doing this session is I've asked for $1.1 million to do preventative education when it comes to sexual assault, domestic violence, and human trafficking. And we'll see where if that gets funded. We're we're you know heading into the last what nine days. I, I I've lost track of time, <laughs> and so hopefully that that gets funded because if we focus more on the preventative piece instead of on um, the latter, I I think um, we could prevent a lot of things if we just have those honest conversations about what are healthy relationships, what are what is consent, and we put that responsibility on everyone in the community not just someone who's been a victim of sexual assault, domestic violence, or human trafficking, but we all take that accountability, and we're all educated on what that is. You say you're you're seeing, uh, by and large, more survivors coming forward, believing that they will be believed. What is changing, Mm -hmm. do you think, to to produce that good result? Well, again, I just think it's us as a state, and I'm not saying it's everyone, but me in particular and and others who have... um, run legislation that's more victim-centric, victim-friendly. That, that doesn't mean that we don't give people due process, but a lot of times, as you know, in child sex abuse and, and sexual, and child sex abuse in particular, if we're going to look at that, a lot of victims don't feel like they'll be believed. And, and if we look at the history of child sex abuse, most victims don't even um, tell anyone what happened to them until they're in their 40s. And so, I want to make sure that the the way we're working, the, the things we're doing in the preventative education, if someone's being violated or being hurt, they feel that they can speak out so that they get justice and that they don't, um, they're not a victim, especially when you're looking at child sex abuse, um, that they're able to speak out. And there's a lot of work we've done in that area. And we have organizations like Prevent Child Abuse Utah, I now serve on their board, that go out to the schools and educate um, young people about what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And I can tell you every time they go to a school and after they do a presentation, there's a child that will tell a trusted adult something's happening to them. And so we're able to help them through that process. And, you know, another important bill to me right now that I'm focused